0: Hi, and welcome to Strutt and Parker's Be Inspired podcast series in association with Country Life magazine. I'm James Fisher, and I'm your host throughout this series. This week, we'll be looking at an increasingly important topic in the property market, sustainability. From project to completion, what are the considerations and challenges faced by planners and developers, And what is the demand from prospective buyers and tenants? We're about to find out, so let me introduce today's speakers. We have Laura Dudley-Smith, Associate Director in the Chelmsford Planning Team.
1: Good morning, James and listeners.
0: Good morning, Laura. Then we have our new homes expert, Charlotte Moxon, Head of Regional New Homes.
2: Good morning. Thrilled to be here.
0: Thrilled to have you, Charlotte. And finally, we have our man on the grounds, Ed Brassie, Head of Residential Sales in Market Harborough.
3: Hi, James. Great to be with you.
0: Great to have you, Ed. So, the word green is a large umbrella term. So, let's start with looking at what people's expectations of green are. Laura, Ed, Charlotte, what does green mean to you?
1: Immediately, when people say green, it's tempting at the moment to move straight towards green technology, kind of quite innovative ideas, electric vehicles, insulation, different forms of heating, how we run our homes. But I think actually, what is starting to come through and it mustn't be forgotten is that actually you can be green in many different aspects of your life not about what technology and making kind of specific lifestyle and purchase choices a lot of it can be down to just small changes in terms of how you go about your life where you buy your shopping from what pets you have do you have chickens in your garden (laughs) things like that and think in in the kind of development industry that's something that we shouldn't you know we shouldn't assume that we can only be sustainable if we've got a brand new Eco home there are certainly other ways that both existing development and new development contribute to sustainable ways of life.
2: Completely agree, Laura. I think we have very high expectations when we're discussing sustainability, and they aren't necessarily things that people see as attainable in their own lives and being sustainable and being green is now at the forefront of people's minds with the ongoing global situation the new documentaries that David Attenborough's done it's something that people want to participate in but they're not quite sure how to and I think a lot of it at the moment is about making it more accessible and easy for people to use when we all started recycling we thought it was a pain in the neck when we all had our houses double glazed it was incredibly expensive but we've moved on from that now and that's what we need to do with all the other aspects of these green technologies.
3: I think that's right. I think people tend to look at green technology in quite a big way sometimes and get frightened by it. So they'll look at, do I have to put in an air source heat pump or a ground source heat pump, or should I be looking at uh, at biomass or photovoltaic cells? And these are all pretty big infrastructure projects. Well, not necessarily air source, but the others, and uh, have a high cost. And perhaps they should be looking at some of the smaller things, such as wildflower meadows, etc. You know, start small and build up. But I'm certainly seeing you know, in the pre-loved homes market at the moment, far higher instance of houses that we're selling with some of these green systems in. You know, half the challenge is uh, just explaining the systems to people, explaining how they work, explaining how they need to register with Ofgem to get the RHI, and really just ha- how the whole system works. And I think sometimes that can be a little scary to people who perhaps have been in a city, used to gas central heating, or even in the country and used to oil central heating. It's, I think it's small steps. The encouraging thing is that we're selling a lot more houses with these systems in place
0: nowadays. Well, I mean, I think one of the great traits of the British is we are always terrified of new things. And as much as it might be terrifying for a homeowner, what are the challenges for planners and developers when considering the oncoming green agenda?
1: I think from a, a planning and new build perspective obviously it is on the agenda and it's very high up where developments can demonstrate green credentials, low energy use, sustainable methods of construction, all these sort of key offerings to, to developments increasingly that becoming the priority of the local authorities and politically through committee members um, and, and during the decision making process. I think what's difficult at the moment is that I think as, as Charlotte's already started to touch on it's about the level of confidence and it feels like we're at a sort of bit of a a tipping point at the moment where again as Charlotte suggests we have we've got an understanding of what we need to be doing and what we want to be doing but there's not quite yet that confidence and understanding of how we can do it and so the difficulty for developers is that they know that increasingly people are going to be looking for these assets in when they're buying their new properties but until they have to deliver them at the moment it's ultimately it's a high expense in their developments and if they don't need to they can't guarantee that they're going to get the associated uplift in the value of their properties at the end of it. it's a big investment for them to make, but the nature of them selling properties, they're not going to be the people that benefit from the cost savings over that long term. So uh, people have the confidence to pay more for a property with these features on the understanding that it's what they want to do it's a lifestyle choice they're making and that they're confident and understanding of potentially the kind of the long term implications. Then it's difficult for developers to to manage that cost up front when they are under pressure consistently to ensure that developments are viable, land values consistently rising and cost of construction alongside that. So though it's required through building regulations, planning policies, it's a bit of a, a tricky balance at the moment.
2: I completely agree, Laura. And interestingly, in one of our recent surveys, 39% of respondents identified as MECOs, which is a group of people who we identified back in 2015 who were looking to place their health and well-being as a priority and wanted their home to reflect that. 66% of respondents said that they would move home for a greener and more sustainable living. But what we're actually seeing from buyers is that that isn't necessarily their number one priority it will come somewhere in the pecking order of priorities but is that the main reason by that why they're buying a new build probably not usually it's because of less maintenance it might be because of affordability there's the help to buy scheme available there are other incentives offered by developers Those tend to come above and the sustainability or the green aspect is almost a second thought for a lot of people out there. And I think as we have touched on, as Laura mentioned, we've had many conversations about this. There needs to be changes in the regulations out there to insist that some of these become more normal. That actually, when people are looking for new homes, they know that it will come with certain aspects, whether it be an electric car charging point or additional insulation, anything along those lines, so that it does become the norm, rather than a bit of a scary change, which, as you say, James, the British aren't known for.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And Ed, is that something you're sort of seeing on the ground in in your area? more
3: concerned on the ground at the moment on value alone. and and looking at pounds per square foot, and and generally where the house is. So other issues than green, I think there is certainly a higher awareness, but I don't think that translates at the moment on the ground into people being willing to pay more. And and that's certainly true in the the pre-love arena as well.
1: And I think that's all we're finding at the moment is developers are is sort of compromising in that respect. So a lot of the kind of agreements that are being struck with the local planning authorities is for the sort of future-proofing of sites. So with something like electric vehicle charging, for example, feels to everyone. I think everyone would agree that it would be excessive for every single property at the moment to have full electric vehicle standpoint charging and all the associated infrastructure, given that not every person moving into those properties will have electric vehicles. But what developers can do is ensure that the ducting and the connections and the infrastructure is in place so that the option for people to kind of retrofit that technology in in the future to suit their requirements think that that's it's something that's working at the moment in terms of leading us down that path i suppose and enabling it forefront or become more prolific in the future ensuring that there's capacity across the sites and electricity supplies and things like that and that the, the buildings have the space to have the different boilers fitted and and that sort of thing so it feels like we're moving in the right direction but it you know as everyone said you know change is big particularly for for, the, for english people probably it feels so it's just it's managing that change and helping people get that confidence and understanding and experience over time really
0: Perfect. So it's sort of like laying the groundwork a little bit, baby steps, as they say.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's got to start somewhere, hasn't it?
0: Exactly. So looking at green itself, what are the incentives for turning your house more green? Ed, I believe you said you have even recently installed some new green technology. Would you like to tell us a bit about that?
3: I think the key thing with green technology is that generally speaking, you need to know that you're at the house for the long run. So, you know, if you know you're going to be there for sort of upwards of 10 years, then I think something that makes sense to invest in, certainly the the RHAs are available for seven years on a domestic tariff at the moment. If you manage to combine more houses, say you've got a cottage in the grounds, then uh, potentially you can look at a commercial tariff at 20 years. So there are still opportunities there, but it's a big Investment and certainly, if you're looking at uh, ground source heat pumps, you, know, you have a couple of choices. You either go vertically underneath the ground or you go laterally, and and both involve quite a lot of earthworks and drilling and are costly enterprises, really, uh, with a, with an entirely new plant room. So, you know, it, it is a big investment, and I think you have to be really committed to want to go down that route. Air source, I think, is far more viable. It's not so effective with older buildings, certainly listed buildings, which tend to leak. You need something more weighty. So ground source or biomass is really the route there. And it's quite a big big enterprise, I think, and big route to go down. Equally, I'm seeing more and more that we're selling. So it seems that people have gone down this route and very often sell the house before the RHI seven years is up. So that's quite a nice incentive to be able to offer buyers that you know they will have the money coming in for uh, you know three or four years. It enables them perhaps to get over the hurdle of understanding the system, knowing that they've they've got some money coming in.
2: Completely agree, Ed. And I think the one thing going back to what we said at the beginning of this podcast is actually sustainability and going green everybody is able to do something so just because the incentives perhaps aren't there like they used to be there's still an awful lot that we can do within our own homes to help the environment whether that be using wool insulation rather than man-made insulation whether that be walking the kids to school rather than driving them growing our own fruit and veg all of that can really contribute to the way that we live and the way that we are helping the environment I always like to think that we are the gatekeepers. We're purely the tenants for this planet. And actually, it's become really important that we focus on how the planet is going to be for our children and our grandchildren in the future. We have successfully managed to destroy quite a lot of it. And I think it's now got to the point where we've all got to focus on improving what we have done previously.
3: You're absolutely right. And I think certainly, you know, the lockdown and recent crisis has refocused people on that and I've certainly noticed more and more prepared to start kitchen gardens and and get stuck in growing their own vegetables and becoming more self-sufficient and I think if anything I have noticed a movement towards people wanting rather bigger gardens and perhaps a paddock or perhaps a little lamb as well we'll see whether that looking back over the year it translates into reality but that's certainly the feeling that i have on the ground at the moment
1: the things that we all talk about is electric vehicles but actually the question isn't just between whether you use a car or electric It's do you need to use a car at all could you dust your bike off are there places you could or you know are there services and facilities and shops more locally you could use and support that you don't need to get in the car to go to and again I think that links back to a lot of kind of realization that's happened during recent events that's made people appreciate what they've got on their doorstep and go out and explore and use the local facilities they've got and it all comes down to that definition of sustainability really it's easy as I said at the start to get to hook get hooked up on this ultimately just kind of resources and green technology. But there's the three pillars to sustainability. It's it's social, it's environmental and it's economical as well. So social sustainability doesn't need technology. Actually, by buying a an existing home in an existing village, are you bringing a new family into a village that can then support those existing facilities? Can go to the local primary school, can use the local youth centre or community centre? Introducing new young people into a village that ensures that that it keeps its vitality and a kind of turnover of people. So it doesn't, you know, it doesn't just need to relate to cutting your carbon footprint. There's there's other ways that sustainability is needed. It's about that ongoing use of resources but not kind of just energy resources it's it's the other angles as well
0: looking at incentives not just in a financial sense but also in a mental health and well-being kind of sense as well isn't it yeah certainly I think all of us have a, somewhere in our minds uh, the picture of the English idol of, you know, a couple of sheep, some chickens, wildflower meadow and thinking, oh, that would be really nice, especially after March, April, and May of this year. I can tell you that. Moving on, tilting back towards the, the technology side of things. What are we seeing in terms of uptake of, you know, sustainable technologies? Is it more of an urban trend with the countryside lagging a bit behind? What do, What are you guys seeing out there?
2: From a buyer perspective, we are seeing, I think as Ed touched on that, actually homes, new builds that have this technology installed, we are explaining what it is to people rather than them necessarily coming out and understanding it. I think with regards to the urban countryside debate that has been ongoing within our company for the whole of this year, I think, the countryside is probably further ahead already in terms of sustainability and eco-friendliness just because of the nature of it they probably already do a lot of these things that you don't necessarily do within cities so i think it's a change of lifestyle for people that have been living in cities and towns that actually again lockdown has brought a realization that there's a lot more that we could be doing and should be doing than we are doing and a lot of it is about awareness and education And people are becoming more aware and more educated on what they can do. So, I don't think it's necessarily where they live or where they're planning to live. Having said that, we are seeing people who are moving out of cities into villages are really keen on doing this kind of thing. I had my first ever request. A couple of weeks ago, for a car charging point to be installed, and it was a Londoner moving out into a village. The developer hadn't installed car charging points; none of his buyers previously had used them. And actually, these buyers don't have a car at the moment. But it is a consideration that if they do buy a car, they want to embrace that village life and be a little bit more sustainable and be a little bit greener, really.
0: Well, that's very exciting. And uh, what about you, Laura? What do you what do you reckon?
1: Well, I think it's an interesting one because obviously in terms of the kind of overall planning strategies, so till now really the, the direction and pushing of growth has been to cities, towns, existing settlements, be self-sufficient, you don't need to rely on your car. And there's there's always been an allowance for supporting other kind of smaller villages and periphery settlements, not to the same degree, but it starts use of electric vehicles and things, it starts, starts to almost sort of fly in the face of those principles. it would be interesting to see how that pans out because they're saying that we shouldn't be building in certain locations because they're not accessible without a car then if those cars are electric then does the same does the same argument run so there's potential for kind of huge shifts in the kind of what are at the moment the very kind of fundamental principles of of where you do and don't build um so it'd be interesting to see as if that demand for kind of coming out of cities does continue on kind of existing villages and settlements, so I think it's a positive thing. I think that you know we have frustrations in terms of sometimes the reluctance of authorities to to allow de- development in these smaller settlements. But if you can demonstrate that you can do them in a in a sensible way and using sustainable methods and high quality design and things, then you know sh- should there just be a blanket no across the, those options? We interesting to see whether the kind of two sort of categories do start to align a bit more because technology allows that.
2: I think they've got to because the demand for housing is going up and therefore whether we like it or not there have got to be new build houses built and I think it's just doing it in a sympathetic way actually there is no problem having development in the right places using the right building methods perhaps local stone to build local companies it's supporting the local community but it just needs to be done right and I think that has perhaps what has lacked in some development over the last few years, but seems to be coming a little more.
1: It it brings us back to what we just earlier, isn't it? It's it's about that kind of confidence and that fairness that developers will be more inclined to put that technology and take their construction to that next level if they feel that it's what's being expected of everyone else and that it's going to be fruitful because ultimately their business is, is to make money from building new houses so that you know they need to know they're gonna be able to sell them for a certain amount as that starts to become the norm and it's expected and local authorities require it from all developments it's required through um, regulations that there's no way around then become the norm and makes starts to hopefully make those developments kind of more acceptable
0: very good so community initiatives do we think they're a sort of softer and more accessible way of improving one's green credentials
2: Yes, I think a lot of developers actually are starting to embrace this a little bit more because community is becoming so much more important to people again. People have really leaned on their local communities, their family over the last year in particular. And I think it's brought a lot of people close together. So when we're discussing new developments with developers, actually, do we need to install all of this fancy technology, which is great, but actually buyers don't understand Or are there other things that we can do that really bring that community element to the forefront of people's minds? So we've been looking at things like involving local companies, so local kitchen suppliers, local stone, as I said, to lower the carbon footprint for the development, but also to make sure that local development supports local community. We've been looking at things like shared vegetable patches, community amenity space. So do they have community woodland community wildflower meadows anything along those lines and I think if you're doing it with other people and you're making these little steps it feels far less daunting than if you try and take on your whole sustainability project on your own.
0: Yeah I would agree with that there's always safety in numbers I guess isn't there and Ed is that something that's happening down where you are?
3: (laughs) You know it's not something that I've seen much of I think it is entirely uh, laudable and, uh, and certainly it has got me thinking village community projects which are ongoing um, but doesn't really factor in, I think, to people's buying thought process at the moment. Perhaps it should. I certainly see people with, a, with an instinct for, for living in villages rather than towns or edge of villages and wanting some activity, some sense of community in that village and being interested in that prior to buying
0: but not so
3: much uh, in terms of the community projects themselves.
0: So let's heading back towards technology I'd be interested to know just from all of your sort of personal experience you know what's really taken off in recent years what's the sort of most successful most well-adopted pieces sustainable technology that you've come across?
2: I think for me, it probably goes down to the basics still that have really taken off. So things like people switching energy suppliers using smart thermostats, smart meters, double glazing is obviously still a huge one, even though we don't necessarily consider it technology these days. But people are looking at further glazing systems as well to be able to do that. Some people have taken the solar panels on board as well obviously with the great Mm. British weather, that it's slightly temperamental, but I believe they still work quite well. So there are some things that we don't necessarily still consider technology because they are a little bit more common in our day-to-day lives, That actually they were new once and they were a little bit scary. And it's been really exciting to see those come forward. And it's nice to think that some of these topics that we've been discussing today that are perhaps a little bit more new and a little bit more daunting could perhaps become the norm within the next few years?
1: Yeah I think I think you're right Charlotte it is that thing again isn't it it's about the competence and, and then becoming the norm and we've seen through through the last few months that yes change is scary but people can adapt incredibly quickly if they have to and often there's a need that sometimes there will be a need to kind of force the hand of people you know even the just the very nature of sort of working from home I guess you know that could that be viewed as a as a, as, a, as a sustainable thing because actually, you know, we're reducing reliance on commuting, on the cities, on kind of running offices and, and that's happened and a lot of companies would have said they weren't prepared to work from home but because, because there was no choice everyone's now set up to do that and so it shows how quickly we can make those changes and adapt to them and I think presumably what we'll say over the next few years is technologies that Charlotte's just mentioned that double glazing that that's just a standard is a norm, it's what you'd expect in a house these days so at one point that was a scary thing and a, um, and a commitment to make and so I think they, they will come over time and there's sort of a bit of a rolling process in the next new thing. I suppose to me, it looks like electric vehicles, for example, even over the fa- past few months, really, the fact that you don't just have to have one certain brand now that you can have whichever car you want but in an electric form rather than having to have the token electric car that one brand of car can offer about having choice as well um, and and also the technologies being accessible to all different budgets as well as they become more popular and understood there'll be presumably more options for people to make that jump in different circumstances on different budgets.
0: I mean as technology advances things become cheaper and More accessible, I guess. Uh, Ed, if you don't mind me saying, as a sort of slightly more mature member of this particular podcast, you must have seen a few changes in technology in your time in the the market.
3: I certainly have. As I said earlier, I've seen a huge instance of alternative heating use. Just from our clients currently in this office, we've got a developer who's put air source heat pumps in all of his buildings. I've got uh, actually a relatively small house conversion of a historic stable block running on ground source with sort of rainwater with sort of loo flushing and washing machines a biomass boiler but lovely grade two star listed building so we're seeing this day in day out now 10 years ago we just simply didn't you know on the electric vehicle side it still hasn't hit the country in such a big way you will see electric vehicles driving around but of course. You know, you have that age-old issue of range anxiety and that the ranges are getting uh, far greater on a single charge on these electric vehicles. And I'm sure, as I speak to a lot of people, they say, it's not now for us for an electric car, but maybe in three years' time or the next car we buy or the one after that, you know, they're all, I think, considering it now and really, in a way, just waiting for the technology to inch on a little bit further. I'm seeing two far higher instances of people being prepared to build their own and attempt getting a a paragraph 79 has used to be paragraph 55. We have sold a number of these over uh, recent years that have used all all types of uh, interesting green technology, uh, including one that ran off a couple of lakes which have been dug with a, a stream running alongside it, effectively water powered. And we sold that last year. So a real momentum shift in people's attitudes on the positive side.
0: We do like a paragraph seventy nine home. I interviewed an architect who built them a few months ago and he said they were the listed homes of the future, which I always which I thought was quite a nice soundbite. On your point with technology, it's it's crazy how quickly sort of advances, you know, just from my own personal experience, having two, three years ago an electric car was almost a gimmick, you would see the the G Wiz wandering around london streets and think haha like look at that ridiculous piece of kit but now we've got jaguars we've got land rovers we've got everything in between i mean i guess my metaphor for it all would be you know remembering that the first iphone only came out what 13 or so years ago and look how far we've come from then you know it feels like we've had them our entire lives but it's only been 13 or so years and that might not be totally accurate but it's something like that so just to finish up what about those of us in a pre-loved home who are sort of As you say, are planning to stick with it for the long term. What would be the advice with regards to making it more sustainable without? From from the pre-loved viewpoint, it is,
3: as we spoke about earlier, it's trying to get more insulation in. It's trying to get double glazing where you can. It's being aware of your energy usage as well. It's trying to be as self-sufficient as possible to be as involved in the community as possible. I think it's all of those things without needing to go overboard on putting in sort of green green energy. I think the issue with a lot of people is if they do live in listed houses, there is a limit to what you can do and certainly double glazing unless you are prepared to spend indecent amounts of money on heritage glazing and then have conversations with the local conservation officer. You know, it's quite tough to do anything. But I think where's the worlds away, and start on the small thing
2: again, that's something that we've talked about the regulations. maybe that's something that they need to consider changing because I understand obviously the reason that buildings are listed and they need to protect them, but actually, living in a very drafty house when there are options to help the environment is a very fine line, isn't it?
1: about to say the same thing charlotte i think it will be that again as the kind of expectations and the priorities of local authorities and conservation officers and, th- officers and things change i think there will be shifts in the kind of stance on those sorts of decisions as i said even we don't just deal with new build developments we, we do deal with conversions you know barn conversions listed buildings extensions things like that and i think more you know more and more the eco credentials and and so kind of sustainability intentions are you know are coming further and further and further up the agenda and i think anything and and that's kind of what we said earlier you know to be able to demonstrate that sustainability is one of the fundamental cruxes in any planning decision and so uh, you know i think there will be more but you know the understanding will, will change and they'll see that, that this is people's desires and actually it's in the best interests of kind of the house itself there'll be kind of faith in people being able to introduce those technologies without causing harm to the assets only proving them ensuring that actually they remain because you know ultimately if if you don't if you don't get these these buildings and listed buildings and homes up up to a standard that people want to live in then people won't live in them they'll get abandoned and (laughs) that they won't be kind of maintained and looked after into the future so if if local authorities and the conservation teams want want them to be protected and looked after and maintained then there needs to be some flexibility and understanding of, of of what people are going to want from that process and how they can ensure that that will be the case i'd always say to any any client now it's kind of any any of those you can look at the kind of pros and cons from a sustainability perspective any of those pros that you can be flagging beyond any any means really in terms of getting a favorable decision
0: to remember as well that there's a lot of disused old listed victorian georgian buildings laura mentioned it very briefly you know as much as it's about new builds we've got a lot of buildings that are just sitting around doing nothing currently whether they're warehouses or anything in between and you know looking sustainably there's little that's more sustainable than turning something that's already there into a new home
1: you know that's really prolific in terms of government intentions um, for planning and development at the moment in, in the national planning policy framework in all the kind of recent white papers there's still this emphasis on actually your starting point should be the reuse of previously developed land and also to consider the alternative uses for existing buildings because the impact of that is always going to be less than putting a new building new property somewhere on a existing greenfield site so again that's kind of when, when you're sort of trying to make these these rounded planning arguments these are all the things that you should be able to be flagging you shouldn't just rely on you being able to demonstrate that you're going to build a brand new eco box that not one inch of air can get in or out but actually you know you, you can deliver sustainable development through other means and Say so by introducing those these technologies, which presumably as well as the technologies advance, they'll become more flexible to be suitable for you know for existing buildings and to be able to kind of retrofit homes and and change you know existing kind of commercial buildings if you're converting those and changing them. So I think it shouldn't be forgotten that that's a massive kind of opportunity area um, in terms of delivering sustainable developments through existing buildings and land.
0: Yeah, just flick a bit of rust on a solar panel, and no one will ever know it's there. I think we'll wrap it up there, guys. And it seems, you know, from talking to you today, it seems that we're at a tipping point with sustainability. There's definitely an appetite to live more sustainably, but people, I think, are looking for more guidance on the best ways to retrofit or future-proof their homes. Green means something different to everyone, and if today's conversation tells us anything, it's that small steps amount to big changes in the longer term. It's a matter of more considerate living, both in our lives and in our homes. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Ed. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Thank you, Charlotte.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, everyone. Great to chat.
0: If you've missed the two previous episodes, be sure to check them out. And as for what's coming next, a personal favourite of mine will be looking at the second part of our investor topic covering farmland, vineyards and entirely unique and rarely seen properties. Hope you'll join us.